Well, good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much for Pastor Tim for inviting me down to be with you to share a word of testimony and to share from the Word of God. Uh, but it's a pleasure to be with you. And as I've already been introduced, my name is Samuel, Samuel Putz. For those of you here who don't know me, I've uh, been a missionary for the past 10 years out in Brazil. And I've been home for a short furlough with my wife and uh, kids. And we're returning to uh, Brazil once again on the 13th of March. So we appreciate your prayers for that. But uh, as our brother just prayed, it's always a pleasure to give testimony. And it's always a pleasure to have a testimony to give. And I praise the Lord that I do have a testimony to give. I praise the Lord I was actually saved at a very young age. I was brought up in a Christian home. I was brought up in a God-fearing home. I was brought up in a home where we were taught to fear the Lord as well. And uh, I was sent along to every single meeting that was going on in church and in other churches as well so that I could hear the gospel. So I remember growing up as a kid and being at the Sunday school and being at children's meetings and being at youth fellowship meetings and being at the gospel services in the, in the nighttime in my church. And the gospel was always being preached. I was always hearing that I was a sinner and that I needed to trust Jesus Christ as my own and personal saviour. So at a very young age, I, I was able to understand that their message. At the age of five, I was able to understand that if I wanted to be free from the consequence of my sin, which is hell, that I needed Christ, that I needed what Christ had done for me on the cross, that I needed the salvation which he offered to us through his sacrifice on the cross. I understood that it didn't matter that I was being brought up by God-fearing parents. I understood that it didn't matter that I was going nearly daily or many times throughout the week to the church. I understood that it didn't matter that because my mum was a Sunday school teacher and different things like that there, that those air things weren't going to make me saved, that those air things weren't going to get me into heaven. But the only thing that could get me into heaven was Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And I was able to understand that at a very young age. And growing up, as uh, I'm sure you all know, there's always plenty of challenges in the Christian faith going up. But I praise the Lord that he was able to preserve me through primary school and through high school as well. There was many challenges in high school, many unchristian friends in high school, many people who would seek to bring you down. But I praise the Lord that he was able to preserve me. And even though I would say I wouldn't describe myself as uh, someone who was certainly perfect, I would describe myself as someone who failed in many aspects while I was in high school. But I was still able to give good testimony to the Lord as well. I was still able to display Christ to others as well. I remember people coming to me and asking me about Jesus Christ while I was in high school. And even after I left the school, old friends sent me messages asking questions whenever they were in difficult situations and they didn't know where to turn. And they're like, we're the only, you're the only Christian that we think we, that we can talk to. You're the only Christian that we have the courage to talk to. We don't know that many others, but we know you. So the Lord opened up opportunities through that. And as I was going up through high school, I had no intention of uh, going to be a missionary. My intentions were uh, going on to be a fireman and uh, to be able to work full-time on the home farm as well. That was what I desired to do. But as I was going on in life and as I was uh, 17, I went on a missionary trip to Brazil. And there my eyes were open through reading the scriptures. I saw what a great need there was. As I was reading through the scriptures and I could see that the Bible was challenging me. I read firstly in Proverbs in chapter 10, uh, there's a verse which says, a son which, uh, a son which gathereth in the harvest is a son which causes joy, and a son which sleepeth in the summer is a son which causes shame. And as I read through that, that really brought a challenge to me. I thought, well, 
if I'm only going to be doing mission trips and things like that, there's which I desired. I didn't desire to be involved in the Lord's work at all, just do the odd mission trip here and there. Whenever I'm doing that, that's obviously going to be pleasing to the Lord. But the rest of the year, whenever I'm not doing anything for the Lord, am I really going to be a child which bringeth joy? Or am I going to be a child which bringeth shame? And that there really challenged me that I needed to be more involved in the work of the Lord. I need to be more involved in doing things for the Lord. And as I continued to read through Proverbs, and I got the Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 11, it says, Forbear them which are led unto slaughter, which are being led on the way unto death. And as I read over that, I thought, how true a message that is. How, how true it is that there are so many who are on their way to death, who are so many who are on their way to hell. It's a very real truth, you see. You see, hell isn't something which has been made up. Hell isn't something which has just been made up by, by the church to scare young children or to scare people into obeying what the church tells people to do. No, hell is something which is very real. Hell is something which has been made by God as an eternal place of punishment for sin. And I understood as I read through that that there were people who were going there. I understood as I read through that that I was free from that there because I had been saved in Jesus Christ. And I understood in reading that that in being a Christian and being someone who was very conscious of what the salvation message was, I had the ability to teach others about salvation as well. I had the ability to instruct others on the salvation as well. And that really challenged me to get involved in the work of the Lord. So I went on and uh, several years or a couple of years later, I went on to do my training. Uh, I trained uh, for around three years at the Bible school, then another year and a half at the missionary training school in Brazil. And it's now been five years that we've been working with an indigenous people group. But that's a wee bit about uh, my testimony. That's a wee bit about how I came to know the Lord. That's a wee bit about how God worked in me. And uh, you can be very sure here tonight, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll save you. You can be very sure here tonight, if you trust in Jesus Christ to guide you, if you trust in Jesus Christ to preserve you, if you trust in Jesus Christ to lead you through any difficult situation, any sinful situation, that he will free you from it and that he will preserve you. You can be very sure of that. It doesn't matter what temptations are out there. It doesn't matter how many people there are trying to bring you down. If your eyes are fixed in Jesus, if your eyes are fixed on him, he will continue to lead you on the way of life and not into the way of death. I'd like to invite you to read your Bible with me tonight in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read from verses 22 to 34. Acts chapter 17 and verses 22 to 34. And thus saith the word of the Lord, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And he made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far away from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. 
For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in, w- in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath, hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, and among the which was Genesius, and Aropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So a very interesting passage we read. And as we look through this passage tonight, I would like to consider with you man's reactions to God's truth. Man's reactions to God's truth. God's truth. You see, we see the Apostle Paul, he has arrived in the city of Athens. And as he looks about that there city of Athens, he sees a city which is very idolatrous. He sees a city which is filled with people who are seeking to prosper in their careers, who are seeking to prosper in being great intellectuals, great philosophers, and different things like that there. And it says that in verse 16, we can see that his spirit was stirred within him when he saw how holy that their city was given to idolatry. The apostle Paul was bothered whenever he was in this city. His spirit was bothered as he saw their great need of a savior, as he saw their great need of believing in the one true God. So as Apostle Paul gathered where it was uh, common for people to get together to hear different discourses, to hear different addresses from all those intellectual philosophers, the Apostle Paul starts to present truth unto them. He starts to present truth unto them about the one true God. He presents truth unto them about the purpose of man. And he presents truth unto them about Jesus Christ. And we see in the first part of his address then, we see him presenting different truths to these people so that they can actually understand and know who the one true God is. The Apostle Paul starts by teaching them that God is the creator of all things. In verse 24, we see God that made the world and all things therein. You see, the Apostle Paul was leaving it very clear that all these other gods that they have, all these other gods that they believed in, all their other religious beliefs, they were nothing. There was only one true God, and he was the only one who had created everything. It didn't matter what these other gods had done in their culture. It didn't matter what they believed they had done. There was only one God, and he is the creator of all things. He is the creator of the heavens and of the earth. He is the Lord over the heavens and of the earth. So much so that he is not just the creator, but he is the ruler. He is a sustainer of all the heaven and the earth. The Apostle Paul was leaving it very clear to these Greek philosophers, to this Greek culture, that there is only one God, and he is the supreme creator. He is the all-powerful God. We even see in 24 that he is not just the God who created all things, but that he is the God who is omnipresent, the God who is present everywhere. We see him instructing them that God is not contained, God dwelleth not only in temples made with hands, You see, God is not someone who can only dwell inside a church building. God is not someone who can only dwell inside a temple. God is not someone who dwells inside some sort of idol which could be present in someone's house. God is omnipresent. God is present in every place. He is not constrained to be only in a temple. God is everywhere. He is making it very clear to these people from this Greek culture that God is not someone who they can only come into his presence in a temple. God is not someone who can just be stored away in a little temple. 
But God is someone who is everywhere and who is seeing everything that they do. We see that the Apostle Paul presents to them as well that God is the sustainer of all things. In verse 25, Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. You see, this verse is telling us some very important truths that God isn't dependent on us. See, sometimes we can present or have this idea in our heads that God is this sort of weak, puny God who depends on the human race to exist. He depends on the human race so he can be adored, so he can be exalted. He depends on the human race to look after his world. That's not the sort of God we worship. God does not depend on anyone. God is completely independent. He is eternal. He has always lived because he does not depend on anything. But man is dependent. They are completely dependent on God. They are completely dependent on the all-sustaining God that is mentioned here in verse 25, who sustains all things, who giveth to everything life, who giveth to everything breath. You see, it is a mercy from God that all of us are able to wake up every morning and have breath to breathe, to have life to live. That is because it is God who sustains us. God is the author of both life and death. And we wake up every morning. We continue with our lives. We go to our jobs. We arrive safely in our jobs and our workplaces. Why? Because God sustains us. We have the energy to carry out sports. We have the energy to work. Why? Because God is giving us that energy. God is sustaining us. God is the one who sustains all things. And we see another very important truth about God in verse 26, and that is that he is the creator of all mankind and that he has created them from one blood. Now that is very important as we, as we look at this verse tonight because that explains something which is taught throughout all scripture. You see, many, uh, many of us will have heard and all of us will have heard the theory of evolution, something which is very common within our society that Man did not come from Adam and Eve, but man came from apes, came from uh, different things as it evolved over the years. But this verse is teaching something very contrary to that. This verse is teaching something very contrary to what many scientists would teach. This verse is teaching that God created man and God created all humankind out of one blood. All man comes from Adam and Eve. You see, many people may mock, many people will say that that there is a a stupid thing to say, that there is a foolish thing to say. The scientists have presented the science and we should just adequate ourselves, we should just believe in what the scientists are teaching because it's fact. But it is in fact not fact, it is actually a theory, but and many Christians will try to acquire to that their theory will be, well, we must analyze the scriptures through this here scientific view and there's nothing wrong with that. We can believe as a Christian that evolution exists. We can believe as a Christian that the world is billions and billions of years old. But the Bible here is teaching that God created all the human race through one blood. And that there is a very essential Christian truth because that means whenever we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 that through one man, sin entered the world and because of sin, death. You see, that makes it very clear whenever we read that there verse, well, how can sin have affected all the human race? Whenever we hear about the fall of man with Adam and Eve, about how they fell away from grace, how they committed that their first sin, well, how can that have any effect on me thousands and thousands of years later? It wasn't me that committed that first sin. It wasn't me that done that. That their first sin affects us because they are 
are father and mother. They are the father and mother of mankind. The one blood where all mankind has come from. You see, it doesn't matter what race we are. It doesn't matter whether it be Asian or European or South American or whatever it may be. We all come from Adam and Eve. And because we all come from Adam and Eve, we are all born sinners. Because we all come from Adam and Eve, we are all born with a natural ability to sin. See, no one needs to teach us how to sin. No one needs to teach a small child how to sin. He's able to learn how to lie and how to steal and how to be uh, angry and exert his anger with very great ease. Why? Because he has a natural ability to sin. sin. He is naturally born a sinner because of the, the sins of our forefathers, because of the sins of Adam and Eve. So the Apostle Paul first presents these here truths about God to this Greek culture, which wouldn't have believed in any of that. They wouldn't have believed that there's only one creator of heaven and earth. They wouldn't have believed that it is him who sustains all things and that he isn't at all dependent on mankind. They wouldn't believe that all human race came from the, the same people. They wouldn't have believed in any of that. But the Apostle Paul is presenting to him, this is a true God. Forget all your other idols. Forget all your other beliefs. Trust in this God who is the only and true God. But we see then in verse 27 that the Apostle Paul also presents to them the truth about what the purpose of mankind is. You see, the, the Greek culture back then, them philosophers, they, their, uh, their purpose in life it was to get a good name for yourself. It was to get a great name for yourself, to be very well respected within society, to be very well off financially within society. That is what they were aiming for. That is what they seek to achieve. But the scriptures here teach us that we were created for a reason, and a very specific reason, and that was to worship God, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far away from every one of us. You see, man was created with a very specific purpose. We see a lot of people nowadays who have identity crises, who don't know what they want to do in life, who are having problems even mentally because they're just completely lost as to what to do. They have no purpose. They have no reason to get up in the morning. But we have a reason to get up in the morning. We have a reason for everything that we should do. And we have a very specific purpose in life. And that is to worship the one true creator God. That is to worship the God who creates and sustains all things. That is our purpose in life. To give praise and to give glory unto him. To make his name known. That is our reason for existence. It tells us in Isaiah that we were made for his glory. And that the Lord will not divide that glory with anyone else. Our sole purpose in life, our specific purpose, is to worship God. Is to give glory unto God. And if we're not doing that tonight, if that isn't our purpose, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with our mentality. There's something wrong with uh, what we have been putting, placing as our purposes. We need to understand that God is the only one who deserves the glory. It doesn't matter about building up our names. It doesn't matter about becoming very well off financially to living our best life now. What matters is building up our treasure in heaven. What matters is trusting in Jesus Christ. What matters is taking the name of Jesus Christ to others and exalting the name of the great 
glorify God. That is our reason for existence. If you're here tonight and you have no purpose in life, if you struggle to find purpose in life, stamp this in your minds that your purpose is to give praise and glory unto God. That is why you were created. And if you seek to find purpose in other things, you'll never find fulfillment because you're seeking to find purpose in things that you weren't created to do. Our sole purpose, our great objective in life should be to glory Give glory and honor unto God. And we see truths presented about Jesus Christ as well. And we see that in uh, verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So the first thing that this verse is making very clear that is that God has appointed a day to judgment. God has appointed a day when all the sins of men will be brought before him at his great throne of judgment. God is making it very clear that there is a day specifically appointed to that, a day when all the sins of men will be brought before him and he will judge them accordingly and he will judge them according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, there's no way of us escaping the judgment. There's no way of us trying to run away from being judged by God. That is a day which has been set apart, and that is a day which will happen. We can think, we can try and fool God. We can try uh, do things or we'll be able to appease God, and we can get away. We won't have to go to that there day of judgment. We can just go straight into heaven. But no, there will be a day of judgment. Your sins will be brought before God, and you will have to present yourself before God give reason as to why you've done those air sins and give reason as to why you should be in heaven. And if God is able to look at you and judge you by righteousness and judge you by his justice and see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he will go straight to heaven. If he is able to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life, he will know that you are saved and you are one of his and that you will not have eternal damnation. You see, God explains here that he will judge by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's very important for us to understand as well. You see, whenever we get to heaven, or whenever we come before the judgment throne of God, and whenever we try to make up any excuses to get out of whatever sins we've done, you see, we can tell God, I didn't know that was a sin. We can tell him, well, uh, I've tried to do my best in life, You know, I've tried to obey all the Ten Commandments. I've tried to do good things, be a good neighbor, be a good father, be a good mother, be a good grandfather. I've tried to be good in everything I've done, not give anyone any baller at all. But you see, that there standard isn't enough. You see, God has set a standard of perfection. And whenever we try to present some kind of standard of perfection to him, he will point us to Jesus Christ and say, that was my standard of perfection. Jesus Christ, who wholly fulfilled the law, who offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice to save the sins of men. And if you had trusted in him, if you had trusted in his righteousness, what he had done for you in the cross, you would be saved. But through your own works, you cannot be saved. You see, Jesus Christ was a man ordained by God so that we could have salvation. Jesus Christ was a man ordained by God to come from heaven, to become man, to live a perfect life, and to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice so that all men could come to repentance, so that all men could come to faith 
and could come to salvation. The way to salvation is Jesus Christ and Him alone. The way to salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ, which He shed on the cross. And whenever we believe that that there salvation was for us, whenever we repent of our sins, that there blood covers us and we are declared righteous. We are declared just. It is not a righteousness or justice which comes of ourselves. It is a righteousness and justice which is given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he leaves it very clear. You see, a testament that this day of judgment will happen is the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This is what he's saying in the final part of that there verse that he read, that we read, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised them from the dead. You see, the assurance we have that there will be a judgment is the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. You see, if Jesus Christ had just come and died on the cross and was still in that there tomb, he would have failed his mission. He would have failed in providing salvation. But by rising up from the dead, by being resurrected, he proved that he defeated sin. He proved that he defeated death. He proved that he was the author of salvation and able to offer salvation unto all men. And he proved that one day all men will be judged for their sins. You see, we know that we can, will come before the judgment seat of Christ because Christ hath raised again. Christ has sat on the right hand of God. We can be very sure that there is a judgment to come. And we can be very sure that the only way to escape that judgment is to believe in Jesus Christ. So we've looked, we've saw a few uh, truths about God God the creator, God the sustainer, God the creator of mankind. We saw a truth about what our purpose in life is. We saw a few truths about Jesus Christ who is out there, he has been appointed by God so that men can be saved, but so that men can be judged. And at that there time of judgment is set apart. But we can also see in this passage that we read, men's reactions to these truths. You see, what was it that the Greeks done whenever they heard these truths? We don't see them fall, all these people falling upon their knees and uh, asking for mercy from God, repenting of their sins. Actually, the first reaction that we see is that they mocked. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You see, it's very common. Many people want to mock the truths of Jesus Christ, want to mock the truths of the Scriptures. You say, that there couldn't be true. That's a pile of nonsense. Me? Go to hell? No. That there never happened to me. If God is a God of love, He could never send me to hell. See, often people, instead of believing in what the Scriptures teaches, they choose to mock. They choose to scorn. They choose to not only not believe in it, but completely say that is complete and utter rubbish. That is complete and utter gobbledygook. And I ask you tonight, is there anyone in the service tonight who could describe themselves as a mocker? Someone who decides not to believe in the Scriptures? Someone who decides to scorn the Scriptures? Someone who decides to scorn God? To believe in all the false theories and all the false religions that there is about? To say that God is not the creator of all the earth? To say that God is not the creator of mankind? To say that God is not He who sustains mankind? says, I am independent. I don't depend on God. I don't need God for anything. Is there anyone like that here tonight? If you're here and you're a mocker of God, 
I would ask you to believe in what the Scriptures teach. I would ask you to believe in what is being taught in this passage and to understand that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that by mocking you, you only continue to go on the road to eternal condemnation. Continue on the road, on the highway to hell. There are others we see in this here text. Uh, again in uh, verses 32. Uh, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So it wasn't that they believed, but they were simply indifferent. It didn't really matter to them. Well, that's all very interesting. Uh, I wouldn't mind hearing someone talk about all that there stuff again. They maybe thought it was quite an intellectual discourse addressed from the Apostle Paul, found it quite interesting. They maybe thought it was quite interesting just uh, for a humor aspect to be able to hear all that sort of stuff again. But the principal point is, that they didn't act upon what they heard. The principal point is that they went on their way and would be open to hearing about all those things again. But they weren't going to act upon it. Perhaps you're here tonight. Perhaps you've heard the gospel many a time. Perhaps you've been going to church for a long time. But perhaps you've never actually believed in what the church has to teach. Perhaps you've never actually believed in what the scriptures have to teach. Perhaps you've never actually believed in Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior. And if you find yourself in that there position tonight, where you've just been indifferent to the gospel, where you're happy to hear people talk about it, where you're happy to go to church services and hear it proclaimed, but you don't ever intend on acting on it, or you've never acted on it as of yet, it's time to act, it's time to trust, and it's time to repent. It's time to believe in Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior. It's time to believe that Jesus Christ has had victory over death, has had victory over sin, and that only He can save you from your sin. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. And we finally see in verse 34 that there was certain men who cleaved to Him because they believed and I want to encourage you to be like those men. Be like the men who believed in the message of the Apostle Paul. See, these were men who were from that there Greek culture themselves. These were men who had beliefs in false gods beforehand. These were men who believed in false religions beforehand. These were men that believed in all the intelligent and intellectual addresses of all these philosophers beforehand. These were men who believed in having their best life now beforehand and trying to establish themselves and being well known and being well respected and being well off financially. These are men who had this objective but who now believed and what the Apostle Paul was teaching. Who now believed that there was only one true God. Who now believed that their purpose in life was to worship that one true God. And who now believed that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross so that they could be saved. And I invite you to come to that their position tonight. If you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, believe on him. Believe that the... Uh, that his Father who sent them is the one true God. Believe that your sole, exist, or your sole purpose in existing is to praise and to worship God and believe that Jesus Christ is the only means whereby you can be saved. 
believe that hell most certainly does exist and believe that Jesus Christ is powerful to save you from hell, that his blood is powerful to wash you from every sin, that his powerful, that his blood is powerful enough to declare you who are a sinner, you who are completely tarnished and dirty by sin as someone who is clean, someone who is righteous, someone who is just. That is the power of the name of Jesus. That is the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ where he was able to take people who are filthy sinners, people who are completely lost in their sin, people who have no interest in God and declare them righteous. Trust in Jesus Christ as your own and personal saviour. I'll pass the word again on to Pastor Tim and once again thank you for the opportunity to be with you.